podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another video and podcast from fantasyfootballscout.co.uk. My name is David and today I'm joined by Praz, who is the latest in a long line of FBL pundits bringing us their first teams of the new season. That's right, FBL is live. We've had it for a few days now. We had a number of price reveals trickling through until the big day when the game launched and we found out everybody's prices. And now we can finally pick our first team. We imagine lots of things are going to change, but it's nice to actually have the opportunity to start tinkering, isn't it, Pras? How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm very well, thank you, David. And uh, I echo what you said. I mean, it's nice to sort of have a plain blank sheet of paper and you can sort of look at all the prices and look at what you can build. And this is the fun part of the season where you only have the positivity and the expectation, but not the disappointment and the outcome. So it's it's good. <laughs> the disappointment and the outcome is like pretty much the worst part of FPL, isn't it? And so just having the opportunity just to make those transfers with impunity is, is quite therapeutic. Yeah. And, and that in combination with football just being back, you know, I mean, I think we've been spoiled over the last couple of years with football being, you know, for us, for, for fans, we've been spoiled. I know some people get sick of it, my wife especially, um, <laughs> but, you know, basically having constant football. But then now we'll have two months of no football. So looking forward to that. And of course, within that FPL as well. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, this is, to be honest, the first summer I can remember where there hasn't been something on. Because if you go, if you go back as far as COVID, we st- we had like the rest of the Premier League season at this time. So um, yeah, I think our our loved ones and our family are probably breathing as much of a sigh of relief as we are. I, I guess. I mean, does your family know that that FPL has launched? It's probably hard to hide it, right? My my son knows. My son is now eight, and this year he plans to play. I mean, when I say play, like have a team that he can sort of own Harlan. You know, all the reasons why people <laughs> make a team. And so I'm going to help him do that. But apart from that, I think uh, my family is just glad that I, I'm not on my phone on, on, on you know, Friday afternoons or <laughs> much of the weekend. So it's, it's, it's good. Yeah, they're happy. Yeah, they should uh, make the most of it while they can because uh, FPL is a coming. But that's really nice to hear about your son as well. I mean, that must be quite cool to be able to bring him into the, uh, into the fold. Yeah, I mean, I think it was the World Cup that did it, right? I mean, a lot of kids, um, at least in his, in his class, in his school, they all got into football a lot more after, you know, the Messi World Cup. And so this year they're all primed for, they have a better understanding of the Premier League, of some of the players. Obviously still only the marquee players, but that's what FPL has done this year. And when we'll come to our team, we'll we'll see that, you know, FPL has become, and Premier League has become, you know, owning the names, the household names that you've heard from all of the teams. And it's good and bad. It's good to attract new people. Like, you know, we've used my son as an example or anyone looking to join the game. They want to own the Salas that, or Harlands, the Rashfords, the Sakas. And they don't want to sort of do the research of, um, <laughs> you know, the who is the gem, the six million gem. Whereas us players who've played for 10 years, we want that edge and we want to sort of do the work and, you know, do our homework and find those gems. And, you know, that that sort of has been taken away. But, you know, it is what it is. You have to play the game that's been given to you. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's jump into your uh, first draft then, where you very much have have played the game. And and I must say that, I mean, this is the most different one I've seen so far. I mean, going without Salah is 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 actually relatively common from what I've seen. I, I would say two in every three drafts I'm seeing from engaged managers doesn't have him in. So that so that doesn't actually draw the attention quite as much as three Arsenal attackers. Now I, I I've felt like I had more than the average person because I've got two, but you've just gone the whole hog. No, none of their defence. And three Arsenal players. Now, we'll, we'll, we're going to touch on that in just a second. For the benefit of the podcast listeners, let's list out the whole team. And then, yeah, we'll, I have to talk about all those guns, the gunners themselves. So we've got Pickford and is it Whitworth in goal? In goal? Um, because yeah. the second half of his name, I can't actually see. And there's just so much bench fodder on everybody's. I'm learning so much about all these other players I never heard of before. So they're, they're your goalkeepers. We've got Ake, Shaw, Estupinian as your starting uh, defenders with uh, Bayer and Botman on the bench. We've got Saka, Erdegaard, Bruno Fernandes, Matoma and Rashford as your midfield five uh, like a lot of people Jesus and Haaland as your front two uh, and then Surridge as your substitute striker but yeah as I said three Arsenal attackers I mean that that feels like the ultimate upside there very exciting yeah I mean look I think you have to look at the pricing this year and say Liverpool have been priced well when I say well I mean in in relative terms expensive because even though Salah's come down in price Trent has gone up in price on a relative basis are they the second best team they're probably similar to Arsenal. So the gap between these two is so high in terms of pricing that I feel I need to maximize the Arsenal guys because in terms of XG created, they're pretty much matching Man City last season. Whether they continue that this year remains to be seen. But I think based on a full season's data, the fact that they've bought Declan Rice, you know, um, Havertz, they, they probably have Timber as well. It's a team that's actually moving forward. So... I need to have three Arsenal, and I'll come to why it's three attackers. It's when we come to our defensive discussion, because yes, they've got great value in defence as well with Zinchenko, Gabriel at 5 million. But I just think that the attackers are so cheap and so good, and the fixtures are so nice, that my instinct says have a slot for eight for 8.5 and 9 million for Asaka and Odegaard. If the fixtures don't turn out, you know, if they don't perform to that same level, there's so many other options. And we'll talk about this midfield seven and a half to nine million slot in in a bit but that was the thinking that i want these price points in and why not start with the second best team in the league with, with one of the top fixtures that they have at the outset yeah i mean that, that first one against nottingham forest is uh very very i mean they almost certainly won't have an easier home fixture this season i suppose it's hard to say where the newly promoted teams are going to fit within that but nottingham forest were the worst team away from home last season which regular listeners and watchers of this channel will be absolutely sick of me saying but you know you've you've taken that and just really doubled down on it and the thing is is that there'll be a lot of people that will have an arsenal midfielder there'll be a lot of people that have an arsenal midfielder and jesus and sometimes in those situations you know that ends up having those two whichever they might be um, you know, because there's loads of midfielders to choose from, could potentially be a bit of a defensive move versus everybody else. But you've turned that from a, from a shield into a sword, to use an expression that Joe coined on the Scoutcast a number of years ago. I mean, I suppose is there an element of that as well by by looking at what everybody is is, is banking on and then doubling down more than they are in the hope that that's what makes a difference for you? Um, you know, in a way, David. But I think we're so early in the draft. At at the moment, I've built what is my first instinct that I think is where where value is. And if if you give me four slots for Arsenal, probably I wouldn't have Estupinian or Ake. Um, I would have Gabriel. If you give me five slots, I'd have Gabriel and Zinchenko because that's how I'm high on Arsenal this year. But it's not based on anything other than what I've seen last year. I think this team will continue to do what they did. They should have a good season. Of course, there is Europe here this season. But 
look, I think uh, it's a team on the up and it's been priced as a team that are challenging for top four, maybe top five. Because remember, uh, Gabriel Zinchenko, Saka are similar price to last year. I think Len Zinchenko at 5 million, Jesus at 8 million, Saka around 8 million. So last year, at the beginning of the season, we all lumped on Arsenal players because they were value then. This year, they're a championship contender. They've bought well in the market. And they're still similarly priced. So therefore, I think if anything, there is more value to Arsenal than last year. And I and, and I want to have as many of Arsenal players as I can. Three home games in the first four, two easy home fixtures. You know, I think there's a lot of goals there, even clean sheets if I could have them. Yeah, you're absolutely right to make a point about the home games as well, because they were just, he scored so many goals at home last season. But also, they kind of, they gave up a few at home as well, um, to be fair. So you actually might have just, your initial instinct of tilting more towards the attack versus the defence for those fixtures actually, um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of clamour for Arsenal defenders, but I'm a bit uncertain as to who to go for at the moment, to be honest. Like, for example, Ramsdale feels... I, I I always find it very awkward to go for a five million goalkeeper. I just can never get comfortable with that price point. Um, you know, Ben White is probably a bit is probably a bit overpriced at five five. Um, you know, we don't know necessarily where Timber's going to fit in. He's probably we're probably going to play right back, we guess, but he can play centre back as well. So there seems to be a lot more of a settled nature about the attackers as well. Um, and you know, they're a little bit more proven as well when you think about what they did last year. Their their, their defence did sort of tail off towards the end. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very exciting. It's nice to see a, dra a draft that is so markedly different. Um, I'm going to go to another area where you've really doubled down in areas where people are sort of making 50-50 calls. Some people have got Fernandez and some people have got Rashford and you've got both. So I'm going to imagine there's a similar sort of theme here as well around pricing and United stature because should also say you've got Shaw. So you've got two triple ups. And I don't think I've seen anybody else who's even got one. <laughs> so I'm, I mean, I'm again, yeah. It's 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 a fixtures play. At least first instinct, I thought Bruno has been priced really, really kindly, and I think Rashford is also a good price. I mean, I think in relative terms, I would have paid nine and a half, ten million for Rashford. So, so I think in relative terms, he's more expensive than Arsenal guys. So, had I picked one slot, maybe I would have looked at Bruno more for the value. But then, if I can afford a Rashford, the thinking really here is less about a triple up on these two teams. It's about I want four midfielders in this 8.5 million or 8 million to 9 million bracket because we have so many good options this year. We haven't talked about the Man City guys, you know, Foden 7.5, James Madison is 7.5. You have, uh, you know, several other midfielders that are in and around that could, you know, sort of break in like Anthony, Mount, um, Kulusevsky, you know, other City mids. So I just think it's a price point where there will be a bandwagon that will emerge. And if I have these four guys who I trust for the moment, so if they if they do well, I'll hold on to them. But if somebody else comes and puts their hands up, you know, like a Foden, and that doesn't mean only in game week one, two, three, it could even be in preseason, right? Now I'm trying to think about the, about the structure of my team more than the individual names. I think I just think four midfielders in that price bracket would be great. Obviously, the sacrifice is no trend to get there, but that's at least where I'm leaning very initially. And... Generally, in terms of Shaw, I think Shaw is one of the best value defenders at 5.5. You know, Man United's defense will be a lot better if they sign Onana, which is the new goalkeeper. That means they'll concede less shots. Um, <clears throat> can only be good for their XG conceded. So it's less about a triple up for Man United. It's about having three players that I think are good value that happen to play for the same team. But we have to look at it in isolation where Shaw is good value at 5.5. 5 
Bruno's great value at 8.5 and then Rashford was amazing last season and, and 9 million is a good price. So that's how I'm sort of thinking about it and looking at it as price points. Yeah, I mean, price points is definitely um, underpinning a lot of these drafts that we're seeing. And certainly, I have to say, you know, people are watching these these drafts. And what's the one thing to take away as a piece of advice from everybody is to think in price points rather than necessarily thinking players, because it will just help you shift um, from, from one week to the, to the next, really. But of course, when you do that, it does come with some sacrifices. You've mentioned uh, Trent, which we'll, we'll talk about your defense in a little bit. But I suppose one of the big sacrifices uh, is no Salah. Um, and, you know, you've talked about, you know, some players might put their hands up in pre-season or maybe earlier into the season and uh, maybe come in for some of these expensive guys is there a possibility where Salah is one of those people and you feel like you want to restructure that's a question I'm subjecting everybody to because you know I'm I'm asking it of myself as well so you know it's this is the first time in a long time I remember him being this unpopular at the start of the season but I don't think he's got any worse individually as an asset is the thing Completely agree with you. Completely agree. I think the reason this has happened is essentially that Haaland has been priced up to 14 million. People still want Haaland. And all these other attractive midfielders from last season, which were insane value, the six-ish million of Rashford, the Odegaards, they're all now at 8 million. So I think there's it's still cheap to have them at 8 million. But the fact that they all exist at 8 million, people just think you can get all these semi-big hitters and Haaland and then just be done rather than going for a Salah and a Haaland and sacrifice on all these attractive midfielders that we've just talked about from Arsenal, Man United and Man City. So I think people will get drawn towards Salah because that's just the player that he is. I think it's uh, it's it's an initial instinct that people have gone against him. I can completely see FOMO coming in and, and people going for him. But look, I think for me personally, why I have not looked at him at the moment it's just Liverpool's fixtures, apart from Bournemouth at home, they're not the easiest. And if I'm thinking, will I captain Salah in any week other than that Bournemouth at home? Probably not. And am I really being true to myself that even with Bournemouth at home, if Haaland has Newcastle at home, now Haaland is great at home, even though Newcastle are a very good team, am I 100% that I'm going to captain Salah that week? I'm not 100%. Maybe I'm 55% because I think you know, it's a much better fixture. So if I can make peace with myself that, look, I'm going to captain Holland regardless in the first four or five game weeks, maybe Salah's a sacrifice. But I can in no way say that Salah won't make a draft and won't be in my game week one team. It's just, <laughs> he's just too good a player to say that. I know. I, I need to probably make a Salah team at some point just to double check that I'm okay with it. Because I, <laughs> I, I kind of don't feel all that naked, but it could be the, that dream that you people have where you're at school and you don't realise you're naked until you're in the middle of everybody in the canteen, right? So it, it could turn out like that. So I need to make preparations for that. And I, su I suppose that could happen in the start of the season as well. I mean, I, I sort of feel like we could end up in a world where lots of people flock to Salah for game week two, especially because he maybe gets a goal and assist against Chelsea. Uh, I mean, what, what would you do in that scenario? I mean, personally, I kind of feel like I would be quite happy with that and I'd probably leave it because surely people would have to have massive surgery on their teams to make that work. And it could, I don't know, be detrimental. Okay. So yeah, what would you do in that scenario? If, if Salah holds in game week one? Yeah, if he holds in game week one, yeah. I think you just have to make your peace with it. I, like, I think you have to accept that Salah is going to do well. I mean, we have this tendency to think that all my players should do well and the ones I don't own should do nothing. But that's just not, not how, how it works. That's not how the pricing has been done this year. Even in the midfield, let's forget Salah for a second. You can only have three or four of these guys that are, as I said, the tier two big hitters in the eight to nine million bracket. You, I could have these three and Madis you know, Madison could go, uh, you know, could, could brace in the first game. 
you know, it could be Martinelli. Even within Arsenal, you're not sure if you've got the right three. You, you know, so there are players who will do well. When you go with your game week one team, you've made peace with these players that over the next three, four game weeks, I'm going to trust this team. And then if I need to, ma- ma- you know, do major restructuring, then a wildcard is an option. Or if I need to do minor ones, then I can do take a hit and do a, you know, triple transfer after game week two. That's at least how I tend to think about it. Because to panic after one game week, it's a bit like, you know, last season when people went, um, went Kane instead of Haaland. I think it just doesn't work. I don't sort of recommend doing things like where you're, where you're committing to something, but you're open to moving somewhere else. I would rather say, look, I've made my piece. I'm not going to have Salah against Bournemouth. And if at deadline, game week one, I'm comfortable with it, I need to be comfortable with it at deadline, game week two as well. At least that will be my view. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a lot of uh, FPL managers are very much going to have to uh, learn dedication uh, to the cause and uh, a bit of self-control as well, which, you know, is is useful in all walks of life. So if anything, FPL is helping everybody with their general life decisions, which is which is good to know, because, yeah, it's. It's it's weird. I can't remember a season like this where the, the where someone like Salah, the king, is someone who just isn't someone I'm interested in. But I don't think he's a bad player. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. I'm I'm very fascinated to see uh, how it's going to go. Well, let's have a look at, at each position in a bit more detail now. We're going to run through um, goalkeepers, uh, defenders, midfielders, and we will probably not talk about your forwards for too long because it's just Haaland and De Jesus. Do we really need to talk about why Haaland's there? Not really. So we'll uh, we'll dedicate a bit more time to the sort of uh, the minutiae of the of the cheaper players because I think that that is where a lot of the difference is going to be made and people will be interested to see your thoughts. So yeah, we've got Pickford in goal and uh, Whitworth uh, as well. And I mean, I shouldn't be saying this because I'm you know, doing these videos. I don't even know who he plays for Whitworth. Is, is he Crystal Palace? He's the Palace guy. He's the Palace guy. Yeah, he's he's the backup. Um... He played a few games um, when uh, Guaita was injured and uh, I think Johnson was also out. So he did play a game or a couple of games, but yeah, he's not going to get... To be honest, this was my auto-select 4.0 keeper and I've kept him. <laughs> uh, I think the more popular 4.0 backup keeper will be Ariola. I think a lot of people will go with him because of the fact that Fabianski is in the final year of his contract. There is a There is a claim from a lot of West Ham fans that he may take over the jersey at some point, whether that's you know, early in the season, whether that's pre-season, whether that's, you know, game week 34, we don't know that. But I think Ariola could see more game time. And so at 4.0, actually, it's a steal if he starts to, you know, start games for West Ham. Um, and in terms of 4.5, look, I generally don't start with anyone more than 4.5 and 4.0. I don't believe in the whole two 4.5 rotating goalkeepers. I think money is so tight early season that if you have 0.5 to burn, just keep it in your bank and still start with 4.5, 4.0, especially if you have a scenario like this where Ariola could be a starter. And if you're going for somebody who's more set, um, you know, who can be more relied upon, like Pickford is not going to miss games. Um, you know, my instinct is uh, the Brighton goalkeeper, if we see who's starting, that could be a little bit iffy because you know, you could see Steel starting some games and the other guy who they've signed, uh, you know, sort of take over. But if you're starting with a Pickford, if you're starting with maybe even a Fabianski and Ariola, then you're 100% assured of a keeper. I'm also thinking of Flecken from, from Brentford, who's 4.5. So if Raya ends up leaving, he could be a good option. At the moment, I've just gone for a tried and tested Pickford. But I think I can see myself changing to either the Brighton keeper if he gets all the games in preseason. Or the the Brentford keeper. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very not much not committed in either direction at the moment. I've got Flecken and I've got Strakosha. I'm going with the 4.5, 4.0 at the same club. Again, banking on 
uh, Raya leaving, which uh, is frustrating that Spurs ended up signing someone else because I was hoping that that would happen. But it might have just thrown us a bone potentially because it, if if Raya does leave and it's after the game launch, that was always the ideal scenario because they couldn't have priced Strakosha or Flecken at five million, but they would have had to do it to Raya. So it has worked out quite nicely and it could go that way. The goalkeeper position is probably, of all the positions for your team especially, uh, the position that's very much wait and see, have a look at preseason is my guess. Yeah, I mean, it's the lowest point-scoring position in general, right? I mean, the best goalkeepers score 170, 160 points compared to your midfielders that are scoring 200-plus. So, yes, you need to spend some time on it, find the right combination, but not not to stress too much on it. You know, the, the delta between now and your wildcard one between an excellent keeper and an average keeper will probably be 10 points. So, there's not a lot of stress. Pick pick up keeper from a good team that makes saves and Brentford, Brighton, even West Ham are good teams. Hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the way to go. I suppose the next, we'll talk about your defence now, but there's still some linkage with, with goalkeepers. I mean, I'm imagining that how you end up settling on your defence uh, when you do, um, would that impact how you settle on goalkeepers? I mean, are there any teams that you are interested in a double up via the goalkeeper and the defenders or is it very much prioritise the defence and sort the goalkeepers out afterwards? Yeah, I think you have to look at each position separately. So if I could, let's say Ramsdale was four and a half and I could get another Arsenal, I can talk about double-ups there. If Newcastle had a, had better fixtures, now Pope is too expensive, so he's not really in conversation, but that's a team I'd be happy to double up on in defence. City is always a team I'm happy to double up in defence if I don't want two attackers. But I, I'm not really thinking about sort of double-ups yet in terms of defence. I think defence takes a little bit of time to understand which team is settled in. People have made, uh, you know, new signings in defence, Arsenal being an example. So I think for the moment, getting a keeper that makes saves and three defenders that are attacking and play for a good team, I think that's the way to think about it. Yeah, well, you've very much followed through on that with the three that you're starting at the moment. So Estupinan, Shaw and Ake. We've kind of already talked about uh, Shaw. So should we uh, focus on Estupinan first? I mean, I'm a big fan of this guy. He, I actually had him from before the World Cup last season. And so then when you've had them for a long time, you just you enjoy all those goals and assists even more. I mean, he's just a joy to watch, isn't he? And decent price this year, do you think? I mean, it's, it's a steal. Uh, he's he's basically plays every game. Uh, he's the only left-footed left back that they have even when Lamptey plays there he's right footed so unless they sign somebody this guy's going to keep playing and now on Brighton there's you know a word of caution just in terms of their fixtures a lot of people see their fixtures and say wow they've got Luton West Ham and Wolves in their first three well the problem is that after that the fixtures are pretty tough until game week nine they play Newcastle Man United Liverpool and Man City in the next six so you know, you have to sort of not overcommit, or at least I'm not trying to overcommit on Brighton. So while I think Estupinan is great value, I don't think he's somebody who I can envisage having till game week nine or ten. I'm I'm looking at that slot as more. I'm going to start with him and see who who emerges. If 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 that's James or Chilwell, if that's another City defender, because there's so much. Again, you know, we keep using this term, so much good value in this in this price bracket as well. You know, for example, Cher, Fabian Cher from Newcastle, amazing. His his XG stats were out of this world last year. He just underperformed it. So you didn't see that in FPL points. But somebody like him after game week four could again be a good 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 option there. And fundamentally, this is the reason why uh, from an initial first instinct point of view, I haven't gone for Trent. Because I just think the gap of 3 million between Trent and Estupinian of a 2.5 million gap between Trent and a James and Chilwell it's huge. I mean, even Stones is 5.5 is 5, that I think 
would I rather have a Trent and Mbumo, let's say, and we'll come to midfield later, or would I rather have an Estupinian or a James or Chilwell and Rashford or or Bruno Fernandes? And when I put put it like that in my head, and when I add to the fact that Liverpool's first few fixtures aren't the best, you know, these guys can burn you. Not having Trent or Salah can completely burn you. I'm conscious of that. But at least, again, we're talking first instinct. I just feel that having that midfield and these five, five and a half million defenders is the way. Yeah, I mean, certainly when I look at the the midfielders that you are able to get because you don't have those players, it does look really good because you're able to answer the the 50-50 questions with yes rather than <laughs> like A or B. And, and sometimes that can be quite useful because everybody, for example, thinks that Rashford and, and Fernandez offer good value this year because of their prices. And whilst they're having to make those difficult choices, you're just sat there being like, cheers, like oh, you don't good. even need to ask me the question, like, I'm sorted. I've got them both, and so there there is that advantage. Which, um, yeah, I have, as I said, I haven't seen many people take that approach yet. So it could could work out quite nicely for you. Just going back to a stupid now, and I think, um, I mean, I agree with you on Brighton's fixtures. We, we'll come on to your midfield in a minute. I already am sort of targeting a possible stepping off point for them, uh, as you said. Like the first three are really nice, but then the next six on the whole aren't great. Uh, and so in midfield, I'm kind of using my Brighton midfielders as a placeholder for maybe a Chelsea or a Spurs. But in defence, um, I guess my question to you would be, is a Stupinan a placeholder or do you feel like at 5 million you can bench him because, you know, Newcastle's fixtures get a little bit nicer when it, there's a bit of a delay, but, you know, there's a possible stepping off point in there as well. I mean, would you want to hold a Stupinan through the difficult fixtures or I suppose it depends on who emerges, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, at this point, it's about being flexible and open, right? I mean, there's there's no way that I'd say, you know, he's a sort of a committed sell because as you said, after game week three, uh, you know, Newcastle's fixtures are great. They play Brighton away. So obviously that's, they play each other. Uh, but then they have got Brentford, Sheffield United, Burnley, West Ham, Crystal Palace, Wolves. So, you know, these things sort of evolve. If after three game weeks, you think Brighton are showing the same form as last season and my wildcard horizon is still far away, uh, maybe just hold on to a Stupinian and, and, and sort of work through that. If you think that, okay, my team is in shambles and, uh, you know, it, I need to sort of do a little bit of a mini surgery, I need to get Trent in, then maybe a Stupinan needs to go for a Trent. So it really depends on what we see. Um, but I think in general, I think it, the way he's been priced, you can, you can hold him long term and he rotates well with Newcastle. Yeah, I mean, that, that extra 0.5 is, I mean, in some ways, it's almost irrational in many ways, because obviously, we, we surely we just want to pick the best 11 and ignore, in inverted commas, the price. But actually, when you shave off 0.5 off a defender, he just feels, to, to 5 million rather than 5.5, he does feel benchable, which probably makes your life a little bit easier, because I do think that Stupinan, across the whole course of the campaign, will will, will score well. So having hold of him is, yeah. is probably going to, going to be useful. Let's talk about Man City now, because... When I first put my draft together, I, I I I went for John Stones. I felt like I wanted a Man City defender, but it's probably the area of my team where I'm feeling less and less interested, I, I guess. And I can't really explain why. And one thing I have seen is that not many people have actually gone for a City defender. And you've obviously got Ake as well. So um, clearly, you want to be invested in that defence. Um, what's your thoughts there? Worried about rotation, those sorts of things? I mean, it's the classic City stuff, right? I mean, if you don't have a nailed City defender who's who doesn't have attacking threat, then you're basically banking on clean sheets. So <clears throat> I think City is great. It's the best defence in the league, uh, d you know, regardless of the fact that they keep conceding this odd goal when they're 3-0 up or 2-0 up. But I think from an underlying data perspective, they've consistently been the best defensive team in the league. So why not? I mean, if you can, if you can nail down minutes. So Ake is one of those placeholders where... 
if they don't sign Guardiola, for example, Guardiola could could essentially take Ake's place. So we don't know who will be the nailed defender. Maybe it's a Kanji, maybe it's somebody else. If you give me 0.5 million more, I'd easily just use that money for James. I think James or Chilwell. Because I think that's a more assured, well, as assured as James and Chilwell can be, but at least it's assured starts. It's assured attacking threat in a weaker defense. But maybe that's okay. And Chelsea's fixtures after after the first uh, game week with Liverpool are actually very, very good. So if you gave me a 100.5 budget, then I think this accurate position would be James So in, in or, or Chilwell. So in some ways, I do agree with you that there is... You know, that appeal of having a City defender after Cancelo's gone has drastically reduced because you don't have that attacking threat. Maybe Stones is showing it, but essentially Stones is a six, right? I mean, maybe an eight, but it's not It's not like he gets forward sometimes, but he's not a Cancelo. He's not a Benjamin Mendy of the past. You know, it's not like he's a marauding left back or a right back where you're going to expect attacking returns. It's just basically you're thinking with Stones, he will start most games, especially if Walker leaves as well. And... You know, you'll get a few clean sheets out of him, maybe an attacking return in every four or five games. So it's not bad, but I do think there's better defenders. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think that's, you've actually probably helped me understand why I'm not that excited about John Stones <laughs> when I initially was, because you just, you've got to compare him to the five fives at other clubs. You know, he is going to, he's going to start most games because he has become integral to the team and the way that they tick along almost quite literally, because he's all about ball recycling and, and, and just all of that stuff that just doesn't get rewarded by a I mean, it could end up with some bonus points this year, but it just, in effect, you're paying that extra 0.5 to be more confident that he's going to start but it doesn't necessarily mean more clean sheets because, as you say, they do concede the fewest number of goals, but they don't necessarily get the most clean sheets um, because it's about how and when they concede those goals. And so, yeah, I I may end up with a Chelsea defender. We'll have to see. Um, It's Yeah, you're right. I mean, Cancelo is is, is in the game. He's six million. But, I mean, I think we're all pretty confident that that's not going to be a thing again. So it's a real shame to see that. The other annoying thing with City is, you know, normally... At the beginning of the season, you have a free carte blanche with City. You know, they only play on weekends. Uh, There's no rotation for Champions Leagues or Europe in the middle. But this year, they have the Super Cup after game week one, which uh, you highlighted in your excellent video where you were talking about the the, the long-term planning view. And the Super Cup is after game week one. It's in Greece. Uh, They will play Sevilla. And so, again, you have a midweek game after game week one. Who knows? Maybe Rico Lewis starts game week two. Uh, and Stones doesn't even start. So this this headache of having a City defender with limited upside just doesn't feel worth it. So, yeah, I mean, I've got Ake in there, but I think eventually if I find money, uh, let's say if I downgrade Odegaard to a Martinelli, get 0.5, I might just move that position to a James or Chilwell. Yeah, there's probably and there's there's a lot of upside to doing that because you'd probably just about stabilize or keep your investment in Arsenal kind of the same in terms yeah. of your potential to get the points. But yeah, really t- turning Ake into a James could be could be huge, and you could be ahead of a bandwagon. I mean, I think we can probably say that there's gonna be a game week three Chelsea bandwagon surely with those fixtures. We hope so. Well, uh, you know, let's see what Pochettino does. I mean, there is a risk with Chelsea. I mean, we obviously I don't have any Chelsea players here, but. Um, I ha- I am cautious, right? I mean, it's it's a new manager. The team was dire last season. I get it that it was you know it was under Lampard and it was basically going nowhere. But it's it's not that easy, you know. Uh, you know, just coming in and changing, you know, f- getting all these new players, new signings, getting them embedded. You just can't perform from day one. So there's going to be a ramp up period with Pochettino getting them right. Remember when Arteta started with Arsenal that season? He lost the first four games and then, you know, there was that stability period and then Arsenal got a lot better by the end of the season. 
but it's not easy sort of coming in. So I think skepticism on Chelsea is, you know, it, I think it's a valid thing. I mean, I've got to be honest, scepticism in Fantasy Premier League is actually something I just really enjoy. I mean, it's very easy sometimes just to say yes to to whoever is the most recent bandwagon. I'm, I'm a bit, gr- I like being grumpy and miserly and being like, you know what? No <laughs> to this one. So thank you very much for bringing some scepticism. It wouldn't be a Fantasy Football Scout bit of content without some, uh, some cautious scepticism. <laughs> Um, let's talk about, uh, we've, we sort of already touched on Newcastle, so let's have a just quick look at your four million defender on your bench. Bayer, uh, a couple of other people have had Bayer as well. We've seen Bell and, you know, Bulldog is kind of in the conversation now as well. My guess is you're pretty, pretty happy with having a four million and what they can unlock and probably open to that four million becoming someone else between now and the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the four million will stay because I've seen two or three options now, as the ones you mentioned. Now, there's issues with all of them, right? There's no, there's no free lunches in FPL. You don't get a four million defender unless unless it's John Lundstrom uh, <laughs> or Aaron Van Bissaka. So it's very hard to find those gems. They come once every three, four years. I don't think we have one this year. You know, you expect Burnley to sign players, Luton to sign players. So it's not like we know now that this was a player last season. That does not mean this will be a starter next season. So. With caution, I think um, if we can find a 4 million starting defender, I think I'm happy with this setup. You know, in terms of bench, we'll come to how I like to structure the prices on my bench, but you need to put your money on the pitch. So if you can have a good, solid first defender, which I think Botman is just perfect because I think his pricing is essentially wrong. You know, <laughs> um, So if, if you're giving me that gift, I take the gift. And so if I have that as first bench, then I'm happy if he, even if he comes on against Man City. doesn't matter. It's a Newcastle starting defender. Um, assuming he continues to be the starting defender and they don't sign another centre-back, um, I think I'm fine with a cheap second, third bench. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's going to be very rare that you're going to be called upon for your, your four million defender. Um, and yeah, pre-season will, will tell as well. We've got to see who the new signings are. And uh, one just little comment on the Sheffield United guys is that um, we, we kind of need to see how the injury scenario is going to resettle itself, for example, because Norrington Davis um, was the first choice at left wing back, but then got injured. And the fans seem fairly confident that he would come back, but it doesn't always work that way, for example. So yeah, there's lots up in the air and we'll just have to see where it goes really. So yeah, but it's all about price points, as you say. And speaking of price points, let's move back into midfield now. And we've come, we've covered a lot of it already, but I suppose we need to look at the 6.5 section because a lot of people actually have a number of options here. You know, for example, you know, maybe a Brighton midfielder and in Burmo, um, you know, Sterling and maybe a Madison as well. This sort of, you know, 6.5 to 7.5. You've obviously uh, only got the one. Um, I mean, that's pro- not necessarily an issue, of course, because all those expensive guys, you can just downgrade to get to them. But Correct. let's talk about Best Brighton midfielder, in your opinion, you know, is Matoma a placeholder or are you wedded to him? And also Noam Burmo as well, because you are officially the first draft I've seen that doesn't have in Burmo. So we need to we need to talk about that. But let's go Brighton first. Um, with Brighton, I mean, it's just you're revisiting the coin toss. It was a three-way coin toss and now it's a two-way coin toss between March and Matoma. Look, I think I've got Matoma as a placeholder for now. It will depend on preseason because there is this theory going around that people have figured out Mitoma. He's very, very uh, right-footed, essentially. And whenever he tries to cut in, people let him cut in because he never shoots from his left foot. And and Van Bissaka exposed him a couple of times. There were a lot of defenders that were doing that. So let's see how he develops. Maybe he's got a new string to his bow. Maybe he's shooting more from his left foot. I'd like to see a little bit of that. Um, but I think Brighton as a team, I back. 
So if it's not him, it'd probably be uh, March. It's probably even Gross is not a bad shot, especially if he's on penalties, by the way, once because McAllister has gone. So there's a lot to be determined with Brighton. But it's a team that is, again, as attacking in terms of its underlying data as Arsenal and Man City. You have to have a player from that team, regardless of fixtures. So if they continue to show what they're showing, I think one Brighton midfielder has to be in. Some people could make an argument for having a double up again. Even though you have tough fixtures, these are the guys you want because they're good attacking players. So I don't have a straight answer to your which Brighton mid yet. I think there's a lot of football to be played uh, yet. I think it was a mildly unfair question, to be fair. I mean, a lot, a lot of these questions are, it's like, and, you know, and but to everybody, you're not alone. I asked them a question on these videos and they're like, well, David, it is July, so just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah. I think uh, Gross, I, I'm really, so Gross is, was actually my Brighton pick and it was probably just me being a contrarian to begin with because um, a little stat came up when I was researching the team of the season stuff uh, for, for the videos for Scout based on the articles that were being written and yeah McAllister March and Matoma all made the nominations list for midfielders of the season and there was just a nice little nugget in there with the fact that Gross didn't but outscored all of them and you know if he's going to come and that's without the penalties because McAllister was taking them so I, I, I definitely think that Gross is going to be in that conversation and yeah fingers crossed they get a load of penalties in the preseason that could potentially make our decision for some of us i, I think um and yeah and it'd be quite nice as well because gross actually a couple of years ago was was a bit of a mainstay in our teams so yeah yes. that'd be nice to see but let's talk about burmo as i said the only draft that i've seen the only person i've interviewed for these videos as well who doesn't have in burmo um skepticism you've already talked about being something that you uh pride yourself on <laughs> is that what's <laughs> is that what's happened here with him burmo no i think he's a he's a good pick i think i think uh this Two or three reasons why I haven't gotten movement. Number one, I think I think Brentford will sign a striker. So this whole argument of, you know, he will be on pens. He is now, but we don't know if he will be in August. So that is the first thing. So let's see if they sign somebody or not. Number two, I think a lot of people have misunderstood his positioning. He is not the striker when Tony doesn't play. Wissa is the striker. He's only playing up top when they play 5-3-2, five, 5 at the back. They only play 5 at the back against the toughest of teams. In the normal games, in in, you know, in most of the games, in fact, as they're starting out, they will play a 4-3-3. In the 4-3-3, he plays on the right flank. Wissa will play up top. So I think that's a, that's sort of what I wanted to clarify. So I don't see the he's a good pick, but he doesn't, he's not an amazing pick just because Tony's out. And the third reason is we don't know what happens with Brentford once Tony's out. I mean, they did fine end of last season when he was out, but also the pressure was off. The teams weren't really planning for the no Tony system, so I'm I remain skeptical on how Brentford will do without Tony, and so I will see preseason and I will see how pivotal he is. Is he being talismanic or is it Wissa who's getting more of the more of the goals and more of the returns? And then I'll make a call. But at the moment, if in my structure I have four midfielders between eight and a half and nine, and only one slot at six and a half, that slot is going to a Brighton midfielder. I mean, yeah, answered answered that very well. I mean, I, I've been having a look at his position in the last couple of days in a bit more detail and I'd, I'd noticed what you mentioned there as well and started to think to myself, have I been a bit lazy? Have I just kind of heard everybody go, oh, he's the striker when Tony's not there and just run with it? And I think that may may well be happening a little bit because he, he was he was returning uh, and if people weren't necessarily watching the games, they might just have assumed that it was, was because of that. So yeah, pre-season is going to be super important for them. And yeah, good point. They may even sign a striker or maybe get a uh, you know, half-season loan or something. And so yeah, yeah. another another one to watch just uh because you are actually the first person to mention uh Wissa. he's just a, he's a six million striker if he 
I, I hadn't realised he was that cheap, to be honest, until I just had a look now. If he started emerging in pre-season as kind of a talismanic figure, I mean, we're sort of now pushing forward back into your forward section again. But, you know, at the moment, no room in your team for a 6 million forward because you're going for a 3-5-2. Um, is there anybody who could potentially convince you, you or you can see convincing you in that 6 to 7 million bracket? I suppose Antonio's in there as well. Anyone who could convince you to go 3-4-3? Three, three? Calvert-Lewin. Um, oh, Mr. Antonio Ferguson. I think these are the four that I have my eye on preseason. Problem with Ferguson is, I mean, he obviously is is great. Brighton is great, but then they have Welbeck. They have they've signed João Pedro. Um, they've got Enciso, Buonanote. I mean, I know Enciso Buonanote play ten or play on the wing as well, but they've got a lot of an Undav as well. So it's just full. And the last thing you want early season is to pick a player that's getting dropped. Because the next thing you see is FPL statistics where he's going through a price drop and then you start to panic. So getting rotation-rife players is just not a great strategy. So that's why I'm a little bit put off by Ferguson. This may change. He may start every game in preseason and he becomes a big bandwagon. Uh, Wissa, I like. I don't think Wissa is a bad shout. And I'll tell you what. If people get into August with Salah FOMO, the way to work and get Salah into your team is basically downgrade that second striker to a 6 million striker and upgrade your Rashfords or Brunos or Odegaards to a Salah. And I can see it now. I mean, in my draft, if you downgrade a, a Jesus to a, a Wissal, let's say a 6 million, you get 2 million. If you downgrade then an Odegaard to a 6.5 mil, let's say let's say Mbumo is, is starting and, and starting up top, you get another 2 million. Use that 4 million for uh, upgrading Bruno Fernandes to Salah. That's how you will do it. So if you get if you get Salah FOMO, you will need a 6 million striker to emerge. And once they do, I think people will start thinking about Salah more. Hmm. I mean, actually, to be honest, when you put it like that, actually getting to Salah from the position that you're in and, and your pricing structure is very similar to mine as well. Um, it's actually not that scary. That's not that many changes to be made. And to be honest, you could even maybe even do those things on a mini wildcard in game week three, four, if you can Absolutely. save the transfers as well. So um, if, if nothing else, that actually makes me more confident going without him because getting to him with a couple of those tweaks is actually more painless than I expected. So, yeah. Thank you. You've, you've even helped me with me preparing my well, team. Well, so. I'm not helping with the no Salah <laughs> brigade because I, I could very well have Salah by game week one. But I would say yes. I think one of the reasons of also going cheap at the back um, is that you're not pulling your money out of the back and you can just restructure your forward line to get a Salah or a Kane or a, a fourth midfielder that is that is coming out very hot could be Foden could be anybody else so I think that's what makes it a little bit easier but on the contrary obviously if Trent goes mad and does really well then it's hard for you to go back and put that money in defense <laughs> yeah well I mean the great thing is is that you, you're faced with those prices decisions because we just go back to what I said at the beginning the pricing I actually think has been done really well this year yes there's lots of players that are value but there's a lot of players who did well last year who are more expensive than they were it is very difficult to to pick everybody who I think is, is good. Last year, I managed to start with a Formium. I had Kane, Haaland, Jesus and Salah and the rest of my team actually wasn't that bad. You can't do that this year and it sort of feels like we might have a return to normality in many ways in terms of pricing. Hopefully, we don't get any deaths of any monarchs or pandemics, that kind of thing. Hopefully, we're back to just normal vanilla FPL, right? I mean, vanilla to an extent, right? I mean, I, I don't want to scare people off uh, and again, going back to the video that you did and the article that Neil wrote, there is still AFCON, there is still the Club World Cup, so there are still extra, more blanks than normal. But yeah, I think apart from that, after game week 26, people will have a much more 
comfortable ride in terms of how what we remember it and you don't have <laughs> to pull these wild cards for a double game week after a blank after a double after a double so yeah that we won't have any of that yeah fingers crossed who knows that's not we're probably yes. tempted yes, fate fingers now. Crossed, fingers <laughs> crossed. Uh, before we finish let's just uh, touch back in on your bench then because we talked about bottom and we've talked about bayer um and we've also got surridge there who i mentioned before we started recording and and uh, you know perhaps trying to find out if there was any connection there and it kind of sounds like Sturridge. it could be any, it could be any it could be anybody yeah it, it could you know joe said that his 4.5 million forward on his bench could be his cat you know it doesn't matter right <laughs> it's yeah. all about getting the money on the pitch i mean there's a couple of reasons number one this year because of i always call the midfield prime real estate so you're not going to waste your prime real estate on a four and a half midfielder i think it'll be rare i mean some people may choose to go for a 433 fair enough but i think there is value, so much value in midfield that I think a lot of people will look at five in midfield, which basically means your third attacker is a is a dead spot. And some people actually have a structure where they have a six million attacker as the eighth attacker. I don't love that personally because at this stage of the season, rotation isn't that big. You're basically not le- you're you're leaving your money uh, in your bench and not in your in your attack. So I personally never like it. So this third striker is going to be the lowest owned striker that is listed on 5th of august or 6th <laughs> or whenever the, whenever the last date is because you don't want a highly owned uh, attacker as well because what will happen is the people who are less engaged might see oh this guy isn't starting i'm going to sell him and then he gets a price drop even though he's not been starting and you never intended to start him so you don't want to lose team value so just pick the one that is lowest owned and that's the way i go usually yeah, it's a good way of looking at it. I tend to uh, to try and do that with my fringe players because, yeah, the, it, the ones that end up super cheap are usually the bandwagons that never happened. And, uh, yeah, it's it's very frustrating, if you, especially right near the beginning. It's so restrictive. If you've got one, if he's on 4.3, you're stuffed. You just you can't replace him with anybody. So you need to avoid that scenario. I mean, while we were talking 4.5, who knew we'd talk for uh, 4.5 attackers for, for three, four minutes? Um, the <laughs> Arsenal guy, uh, Balogun, he is uh, 4.5. And he had a great record when he was loaned out last year. If he is loaned to a Premier League club, it would be game changing. You would have a you would have a striker who is starting for a Premier League team at four point five. I don't know if he will start every game for us in FPL, but then you have a nailed attacker. I would even change a Botman to a four point defender if that if that happened. Yeah, I mean, that would be really nice. I mean, again, that's another reason why um, we have to caveat a lot of what we say with this early days, pre-season's coming, and uh, it, pre-season will, will help shape this uh, a lot more. And that's an opportunity as well just to flog the uh, pre-season page on Fantasy Football Scout. If you head to the top of the menu and click on the, the pre-season guide, you will see the pre-season minute spreadsheet. It's famously the resource that discovered Aaron Wan-Bissaka, John Lundstrom when they were 4 million defenders, and usually is the thing that will help you discover those gems. Uh, there's no other place, basically, that pulls all that data into one place uh, especially at a time when twitter seems to be dying and because i know that people like to do the minutes in threads and uh, and when i say threads i mean old threads rather than the new app threads the new ones, yeah. <laughs> that 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 spreadsheet just pulls it all together so if you haven't already checked that out make sure you go and check that out um, that is definitely going to inform a lot of decisions uh, i know for myself and i imagine for you as well Pras. that's my favorite piece of preseason content that the guys do um, and i mean people who haven't heard of it it's basically every single team there is within that who has played how many minutes in every single friendly and also a summary of who scored the goals, who's made the assists. So 
you don't need to do any work in terms of following it just go to that page and you will see the whole thing and at the end of it you get a you get a good picture on this guy's been getting 70 80 minutes consistently and that's how the gems are found which you mentioned hmm. I think, I mean, without wanting to flog a dead horse because he definitely isn't an asset anymore. The funny thing about John Lundstrom was that the fans of Sheffield United were like, there's no way. Because he hadn't played that much of a role the previous year. And it was the preseason minute spreadsheet that showed that actually Chris Wilder had changed his mind. So that is, any any opinion you, you, you hear in the preseason, whether that be from me, because I could be wrong, from the fans of other teams, because they could be wrong. The truth of the matter will be in the preseason spreadsheet, so do check that out. Uh, if you've also not signed up for Fantasy Football Scout membership as well, don't forget to do that too. There's plenty of resources. We've had the season ticker up on the screen a couple of times when we've been talking about the fixtures. Very amazing interactive tool there that will help you work out when to make your changes and when to wildcard, things like that. Comparison tools, tables, rate my team, the whole work. So if you haven't signed up yet, head to fantasyfootballscout.co.uk, click on Members Benefits and click the package that is right for you, and it will almost certainly help you beat your mates uh, in your mini leagues. Can't guarantee it's going to help you win the entire of FPL, but you might go close, is all I'll say. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks very much for joining us today, Paz. It was good to, uh, good to have you here and uh, good to have uh, teams back rather than, uh, yeah, we, we were really having to go as deep as scouting Mateo Kovacic uh, <laughs> for the <laughs> summer. So it's nice to be able to get your insight. Um, hopefully it's been uh, fun having it back. It's a pleasure, David. Always a pleasure speaking with you. And yeah, look forward to a lot of a lot more content on, on the Scout channel. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, with that, I'll leave you fine folks uh, to enjoy the rest of your summer and enjoy the rest of your tinkering. And we will see you next time. Bye.